Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring. This session is a remake of an interview I had with Richard Sharp in 2019. In part two of this interview, we learn more from this industry thought leader on good things happening in the industry and see a glimpse into the future of supply chain management. So Richard, let's talk about now uh, what you're doing today and uh, how you're helping companies. Well, let's build on the story that we were talking about before with uh, Coke and waste management. Um, on We did hundreds of applications for different companies. And what we would find is that we would be you know, ready to implement whatever the changes were. Um, and we'd be socializing that with the company executives. And invariably, as we were about ready to pull the trigger, somebody in the organization would raise their hand and say, I'm sorry, I know there's a lot of great work's been done here, and I know that we're really very focused on trying to solve this problem, but I just don't trust the data that we used our data to do, to actually solve this problem. Have you ever heard that, Chris? I have, yeah, and I, and I can't tell if it's uh, if it's a political reason or if they really don't trust the data. You know, it, it can be can be both. It can be both, but oftentimes there are issues with the data, and you know, there's that old acronym. Data in, data out, garbage in, garbage out. So anyway, so we knew that if we were going to really add value to supply chain management, we had to solve that problem. So we formed this company with one key ingredient, which is to be able to take native transactional data from as many sources as the company has, to be able to uh, use a process and tools to make that information trusted, and then to be able to use that validated trusted information to solve the kinds of problems that we solve. So that's what we started out to do, and now what we have is the ability to have uh, very accurate and specific information and targeted on a key area, which is what is the exact cost associated with servicing every customer that I have and how much am I actually making from a profit perspective for every item sold to every customer? Everybody has a P&L, but if you wanted to get that down to the actual profitability of work, that shirt that you bought and how you bought it, that's very difficult for, for companies to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's, the, that's where we focus as a foundation to then use a series of analytics to help people solve problems around okay. that. Yeah, it's interesting. And in the Apex world, um, again, Richard, we talk about lifetime customer values and mm -hmm. kind of not it's, it gets into the individual product profitability, but also some customers are going to be short term. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you look at that as well, mm -hmm. or you're just looking at the individual product profitability. But if you look at a customer from, you know, for example, in the automotive or the, uh, the car dealerships, you know, they may give a car away at cost because they're hoping that you come back over the next five years and get service there. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you, if your models look at that type of thing as well, or is it just being able to look at the repeatability, repeatability. Of, of, of an actual customer interaction is, is very important, but it's also the ability to understand over time what that customer has meant. Let me, let me give you a story. A, a large operation out of Chicago uh, servicing customers directly as well as through wholesalers and distributors. They have 110,000 delivery locations in the United States. They wanted to understand where they were making and losing money. They were profitable. So out of 110,000 locations, Chris, how many would you think 
gave them 80% of their profit? Uh, 110,000, you said. I'm not good at my math. I'd say probably um, 80, 80, 20,000. 20,000, 80-20 rule. That's what I was going to say. My industrial engineering kicks in. A everybody you says that. You know what the answer was? No. 2,383. Two, that's pretty specific. Less than 3%. I was going to say, you're looking at that, that's less than 5%, but 3%. So, you know, being able to know that and have trust that that information is correct, so how do you solve a problem with that? So what they ended up doing is they looked at every customer in each market, and they said, okay, now we see that we're giving everybody five-day service. These are very unprofitable, these are marginal, and these are very profitable. Clearly, we're going to keep same-day service for the very profitable, but I'm going to change how I service the orders for the marginal and unprofitable. They realized $3 million immediately on the bottom line. Yeah, immediately. Immediately. That paid for the project. Oh, many times over. Many times over. That's good. So do you do you also look at things from a, a, a market basket perspective? So, I mean, sometimes you may have a product that's not profitable, but you're they're calling you because you, you have that product? Yeah, so loss leaders are, are a very big uh, question for many companies. So th there's, a, again, a, a right way to do that. When you're thinking about products and, and their contribution to your margin, you will always have products that are necessary in order to sell other products, right? So that's just part of the customer relationship. But what you want to be able to do is know where, if in fact that is the way it's working. So am I holding this product and is it being bought by a customer that's buying a lot of other things that are very profitable and, um, you know, and it makes sense to continue to hold that item? Or do I have customers that are cherry picking and all they're buying is unprofitable products? Now, that's a different answer. It is, yes. And so it's very important. That's why it has to be very accurate and very specific and trusted, because if that's not the case, it's not actionable. It has to be actionable. And that way, you, as you can see, I mean, it's just clearly something that people are going to need to know more and more, uh, have that capability, mm -hmm. because the world is is moving at such a pace that without that kind of decision-making, uh, you basically can go out of business, i.e. Sears. Oh, good point, yeah. I didn't understand that that perspective. It's interesting, a lot of uh, historical management was done by gut feel, you know, or, you know, the guy's been here 25 years, he knows everything. Yep. He's got to have the right answers. And, you know, sometimes that, that may not be the case. Well, experience is really important, clearly. But what you want to do is you want to blend fact-based decision-making with that experience. So, you know, you're not going to always get all the answers from the numbers, but what you want is an informed decision. So, you know, having the ability to know what has worked in the past and not, blending that with very good information with regard to what it means to you from a financial performance, uh, that's when you get the home run. Okay. So what is your, um, you've been doing this for, I didn't realize it, 20 years. Yep. So what's your, what's your vision for the company? Are you going to maintain status quo or? No, we're going, to, we're going to follow the same path that we did at, at Caps Logistics. And that basically what that means is that we're getting um, uh, great customers in each and every industry uh, that we're servicing. And we want to be able to demonstrate how this can actually drive profitable growth in a smart way. 
and then we'll we'll expand accordingly. So fortunately, we've been recognized by Gartner four times. We've uh, been the last three years we've been named the best of breed in the space, um, and you know with that along with with great testimonials from uh, customers, uh, we'll radically grow this company. So you're recognized by Gartner. That's a pretty good accomplishment. Three years in a row. It's yeah. a smart organization, so they, they recognize smart companies. So what what types of uh, companies, you know, if I could reach out into my network and say, here's a company that needs help and try to make an introduction, what types of companies are you helping? Well, we're helping uh, companies in retail and pharma. Uh, distribution has recently become very active, and it, one of the big reasons for that is that um, there's a, a main competitor out there that a lot of people are focused on, and that's Amazon. And so being able to be more proactive as opposed to reactive with regard to how do I set up and not just survive but thrive when I have pressures for, um, uh, from companies like Amazon. So it's anyone that could be affected that way, if mm-hmm. you think about it. And what you really have to do is you have to be able to be in a position to be very smart with regard to how you're going about the market, what you're, what you're selling, who you're selling it to, what service levels that you're providing with that. All of that becomes a very important ingredient in, in the go-to-market strategy, if you will. It almost sounds like a, a crossover to uh, customer relationship management where you have to give that knowledge. If somebody calls into a call center, you have to know maybe what's the more profitable products you can offer. Absolutely. Not push, but offer. And, and it's not, it's, it's going to be different by product and it's going to be different by customer. You know, the, unfortunately, a lot of decisions that are made in that world is a one size fits all. And that's absolutely not going to work in tomorrow's world. Uh, it has to be much more specific and much more accurate than that. So, you know, there's things that, that one can do if you know the profit contributions of a product. All right. Let's go to a typical Apex uh, case study. You are very focused on reducing working capital in your mm-hmm. inventory, right? Right. Everybody in Apex yeah, in, is focused. Inventory is an evil. That's it right. is a big, big deal, right? Now, how do people do that? They look at the velocity and they look at the amount of working capital tied up associated with that inventory, right? So the turns become very important measurement. So skew rationalization as well is a, is a thing. I know some companies hate to hate to get rid of, yeah. Or not hate is a tough word. They don't like to get rid of products or SKUs. Somebody's going to buy it eventually, right? So that's a part of what you're offering as well. Oh, much that and a lot more. So let's go back to that exact point. So if I know the profit contribution of a particular product, and I'm thinking about SKU rationalization, and I say, okay, this product has a very high working capital but its turns are also very low, all right? But I know that it is actually, for whatever reason, an extremely profitable product for me. If I didn't know that, I may, su- may you know, push to rationalize the SKU, mm-hmm. right? Because the turns are low, the, the cost is high. But if I now know that it is actually a very big part of the reason that I can make money, my strategy around inventory management might be very different. Sure. Right. That's true for looking at SKU rationalization. That's true at inventory, customer benchmarking, product segmentation. All of those are things that uh, 
are become very important once you have that kind of detail. And ultimately what it does, it allows you to have visibility to profit leakage. So we've got to be careful, Richard. I think if we if we keep talking, an Apex class is going to break out here. So <laughs> I, I, I am a fan of your term terminology, so thank you for that. So in terms of uh, good companies, is there a minimum revenue size company? or inventory levels or what uh, you know the, the the truth is if if they are focused on trying to be smart and to use their data as an asset uh, we've helped companies that are you know several hundred million dollars and we've helped companies that are many billion dollars uh, the key is that they have the desire to actually uh, become smarter at doing this and to supplement not replace but to supplement their decision making with you know additional information if you will so um but but the ones that are really moving the fastest are those that are that are really feeling those competitive pressures okay and from a an offering standpoint you know what are you what are you providing is it a a service consulting service with all your smart engineers or is it a software platform or what do you how do you deliver your solution well, the first thing to, to note is that we are not a BI tool, business intelligence tool. We are very focused on just this question of being able to have accurate and specific information that you can use in various uh, problem solving around profit, cost, and efficiency. Um, but what we're doing is we're providing it on a cloud. So we're a cloud-based solution. Uh, we obviously have to be able to help with the consulting aspects of how to do this, but our main focus is to give them a solution that they use on a repeatable basis to be able to not only have that information as things change, but be able to track the progress of strategies they've made uh, as a result of having this kind of information. Okay. And I, I remember back in the, the network modeling days, like the companies would almost lease the software temporarily and that type of thing. I don't know. If that's a model that you have, or if you just view it as part of the solution, it's a subscription model. Okay. Yeah. Good. So let's change, shift gears just a little bit and talk about move away from specifically what you're doing to just kind of what's your vision as as a, I guess a pioneer for the next century. What's changing or what's going to happen in supply chain management? I think that we are at a very exciting time in supply chain management. In fact, I think we're at an inflection point that's going to dramatically change how supply chain management is viewed. Um, we, we believe that um, Amazon has specifically changed the way supply chains are going to operate in, in the future, are already changing the way it's and specifically by that, what I mean is that the consumer, the customer, is now in charge. We all know that. And we all, we all utilize that as we you know, are doing our own procurement for our families and for our companies. But imagine this. Imagine that you've got a triangle. And the three points of that triangle are selection, having the right product, profit, and service. So if you are driving your business based on those three points, basically what you're doing is you're setting up the ability to effectively compete for the consumer's business. You're giving them the service they're looking for, you're giving them the product they're looking for, and you're making money at it. If that is the case, and that is really the driving model for your business, there, the supply chain officer has a vital role in being able to drive profitability. And that's gonna drive the, 
supply chain officers to be at the seat of the table. You know, they're going to be in that boardroom explaining how the strategies the company is pursuing is allowing them to capture that consumer uh, um, demand on a profitable basis because service, that's supply chain. Selection, that's supply chain. Granted, it's, it is a collaborative effort with sales, marketing, and the CFO, but that will be a driving force, if you will, for the companies that will survive and thrive uh, in the future. And we call that the um, consumer-centric supply chain, CCAS, because we think that the consumer-centric supply chain is going to be the model that supply chains are going to contribute to and help companies succeed in. Yeah, it's interesting. I think just one of the changes that we've already, it's, it's here, is having a saying supply chain at the same reference as the chief in the company. I know mm -hmm. typically it's been CIO, CFO, COO, chief executive officer, but now just the fact that you mentioned a chief supply chain officer has a viable role, I think that's uh, that says a lot as well. Yeah, I think that's why so many people are beginning to say that the future CEOs of these companies will be supply chain professionals. I like to think so. And on that concept as well, and the supply chain has, has historically been maybe manufacturing-centric, transportation, you know, logistics sourcing kind of stuff. But now I see kind of in your theme, supply chain as a service is really making, just competing on customer service levels and being able to. Yeah, but, but doing it in a very smart way. Again, not a one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. You recognize the customer behavior you want and that drives the type of profit performance that you're looking for. And then you build your business around that, as opposed to, again, treating all customers the same, treating all products the same. You want to be able to differentiate and do it very smartly. Sure. Yeah, and that's one of the, the things we talk about in the Apex class again, Richard, is um, companies can have multiple supply chains. To Absolutely. Different types of types of product categories. Absolutely. And, you know, what we, we really have to offer in this part of the conversation is, it's not just being able to get the right product at the right time at the consumer's you know, uh, specifications. It's how you're going to handle the returns when they want to send it back. The returns is a big part of it, sure. A very big part. Are you involved with uh, RELA or Returns Logistics Association? They're, they're pretty active. Uh, no. We, we, what we're basically doing is we're helping people identify how those costs have to be captured. Mm -hmm. uh, because again, let's go back to okay. you know the consumer. If you've got a customer that is actually returning a lot of product and they happen to be unprofitable, uh, as opposed to a customer that is returning average amount of product and they're very profitable, again, the way you treat them from a future uh, perspective is going to be very different. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, Apex. We kind of align with them as well. And that's a key part of the supply chain is not only the outbound side, but, you know, getting product back in, which is a big, I think that's related to the Amazon effect as well. People want to Absolutely. buy two or three and then send back one or two. Right. So let's get a bit more specific. Uh, my daughter's looking at colleges now. She'll be going to college in the fall. So she's on the computer technology side. But for people um, that are starting out or maybe trying to get into supply chain management, do you have any, any suggestions for them? Absolutely. I believe that, you know, people uh, moving into the supply chain world and, and uh, getting their training and, and being uh, involved in the profession is going to be a very exciting time for them. And learning as much as you can with regard to the fundamental principles of supply chain management is very important. 
But I think what's also important is the ability to be able to learn how to collaborate. So supply chain professionals are going to have a bigger say in the running of a company, but it's going to be very important that they work well with the sales, marketing, and finance people because the strategies that will be developed in the future will be cross-functional and collaborative. And if they have that skill set, it will help them a lot. Also being you know, focused on the, how financial measurements are being done in order to be able to know what they're doing in supply chain, how it affects the finances of the company and their collaborative efforts as well, will be a great plus on their resume as they move forward. So I think you know, getting all the basics, really understanding supply chain management, learning better ways to collaborate and understanding what the impact is financially is a ticket for a home run. That's exciting. I, well, I'm glad just from my career perspective, my outlook, um, I'm on the other end of that, not just starting out, but uh, uh, it sounds like a great fit for an industrial engineer. Absolutely. Kind of all the, the core curriculum, you learn a lot about your finance, business, a little bit of technology, everything else. So my advice is to tell everybody to be an industrial engineer, but you have to know a little bit of math. So you're, uh, so thank you for that perspective. So you're, uh, pretty much a thought leader kind of in the space still. So you, I know you've, I was looking at the I for transport events. You, you speak at them frequently. I don't know. Are you speaking there this year? Uh, that's still being worked out. Yeah, they're worked getting out. the program together as we speak. That's coming up in June. So you right. got to get on mm-hmm. there. And you're, you do so you do things with CSEMP, obviously yep. APEX you're, you're involved there. Uh, DC velocity. I know you're, you're a contributing editor or yep. author. I don't know what the official is, but yep. So what are, you know, why do you do that? And is it just a, a hobby, a passion or, or? No, it's, it's definitely a passion. Uh, our, our primary focus in all of those talks and, and in the blogs that we write for DC Velocity and the feature articles, which actually one is coming out uh, in the next few weeks on big data and analytics that we contributed to, is to help companies recognize that they don't have to be in a defensive posture as they're trying to figure out how to go to market in the future. If you, again, going back to the Amazon effect, a lot of companies are uh, in a very defensive posture and are very concerned they'll even survive. We mentioned Sears before, you know, mm-hmm. JC Penney. I mean, there's all kinds of stories out there where companies are have had very serious impacts with regard to competitive pressures. So the the main theme for us is to say, look, don't be defensive. Be on the offense. And there are ways to do that cost effectively so that you, again, don't just survive, but you thrive. So there are three core elements to that. And the first is that they have to really focus on their data and treat it as an asset versus a liability. And that may sound a little trite, but Mm -hmm. many companies that we talk to, when they really close the door and they're being really honest, the data is a big issue. You can put investments in that, data warehouses and you know data lakes, and but you really have to be focused on the integrity of the data and ways to handle that efficiently that's not burdensome for the organization, but the organization really does have confidence in the information they're about to use. That's a very big cornerstone for being able to go on the actual offense versus mm-hmm. defense. The second is that to be able to approach doing this in a way that they're using what we'll call a crawl, walk, run, not to try to tackle all the problems, boil the ocean, if you will, 
but focus on one key strategy that you're trying to accomplish. You have the data now at a point where you can trust it and use analytics and data to solve that problem. Prove that problem's been solved by measuring it financially. Everybody wants to get on a bandwagon when they see that something's really gone well and it's actually made a financial, very positive financial difference. So that's very, very important. And the third, okay. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah, that boil the ocean. That's that's important because you can you have with with today's data and in ERP systems, there's such a wealth of data that you can almost drown. Yes. If you try to do too much at the same time. And usually that fails. Yeah. So what you want to be, you want to be very targeted and very specific. And the third, the third element we try to say, you know, to again to thrive and not just survive is to build this capability out so that you have it on a repeatable basis. What that means basically is it's not a project. This is a capability that you're building in your organization and allowing people to have that information on a repeatable basis so that they in fact can continue to make great decisions. So those are the three keys that we, we always stress when we're out in the market talking about big data and analytics. And it's important that companies hear it because again, many of them are in the idle mode right now. They're not doing a lot and they need to be. So where they're, they're just collecting the data and not doing anything with it or are they even collecting the data? Oh, they're collecting the data. There's, there's a lot of data and there's a lot of decisions being made, but they're being made in a way that basically are siloed. So you've got, if you really, even with SAP and HANA and all the other tools mm -hmm. that are out there, you've got supply chain using their supply chain data to do the very best they can do, mm -hmm. right? Sales, same thing. Marketing, same thing. Finance. And all of them are doing their job well, but they're doing them in the space of that functional part of the, of the organization. What we're talking about is raising that up so that they know a holistic view of what's really going on from a cost and profit perspective that is very specific to actually collaborate and create cross-functional strategies that are allowing them to thrive. And that's really key because if you think about it, if I said that I am looking at a particular product that I'm selling and I want to be able to increase its contribution to my margin, the reason that that may not be performing as well might be the sourcing of the product. What did I pay for it? Mm -hmm. The supply chain cost associated with how I handled it. The selling price that I offered or the discounts that I did. The amount of returns that I'm getting on it. All of those can drive the actual cost and profit of an item, right? Right. So if I'm making decisions that are only procurement related or supply chain related, mm -hmm or selling related because of those functional roles, I may not have the ability to understand that the, today this product is not as profitable because of sourcing. So that's who needs to look at it. Mm -hmm. The second product that's in the same category is because of selling price. Any of those things can drive profitability. Sure. It has to be viewed on a collective collaborative basis. Yeah. Else, again, back to the APEX terminology, we talk about that as sub-optimization, you know, focusing on, you know, if you buy a million, you, you pay five cents a piece, but you're going to have 900,000 sitting in the warehouse you That's know, right. for, for 10 years. So that so you have to look at it holistically. And then we also, uh, I like your, your discussion around cross-functional because 
the the future of supply chains as well as I think the integrated supply chains where uh, you're collaborating with your trading partners and, and to be able to do that you have to pretty much have sound data right else you're going to be causing trouble for them as well right interesting well I appreciate the fact that you you do write and you do speak um, how could somebody take a look at, at what you're what you're writing or what you're speaking on well if we can always go to the website which is www.ci-advantage.com uh, go to DC Velocity or Supply Chain Quarterly. Uh, we're listed there for the blog content that we write every month. Um, or they're happy to give us a call. We'd be happy to talk to them. Okay. And they may be able to see you at the Eye for Transport in June. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. It's a teaser. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of your website, I was looking at uh, at your website, and you, it was interesting. One of the, the things that you specifically references social responsibility right so tell me a little bit about that and what that means to you well we uh, as a company believe very strongly that there is a, a significant contribution that supply chain management can make to um, the world at large essentially so we've done several things one is we've done a lot of work in America's food banks so we have uh, gone in and helped them from a supply chain management perspective in different ways depending on what their needs are uh, what's interesting uh, about Atlanta is that we actually apply the technology we've been talking about to the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Yeah. And instead of measuring profit, they wanted to measure costs associated with servicing the agencies that distribute the food uh, to their clients. And what we were able to show them is that, you know, it's not just delivering food, it's delivering the right food, the right nutritional content of food mm -hmm. into the right places. So if you've got an extra uh, unusual amount of cost that you're moving chocolate uh, from point A to point B, that's interesting to know versus whether that's protein that, yes. you know, you might value that more, right? Sure. So giving them that visibility was an application that we did with our technology. So not only are, are they getting products in the right places, are they getting the right products? Right. Me measuring the nutritional content, the actual cost associated with it, and, you know, the patterns that you were asking about before, you know, how often is it being bought, who's are being delivered, uh, et cetera. So all of those are just visibility in being able to make smarter decisions. Uh, but what we've also done, besides the food bank work, is we're a founding member of the American Logistics Aid Network, Allen, uh, and that is the supply chain industry's response to disaster uh, events. So after Katrina, uh, four of us got together, at a, along with uh, all of the organizations, APICS, CSCMP, and others, and said, you know, there is no other industry that can contribute to making response efforts and disasters more effective than the supply chain industry. And so we took two years to study how disaster response really works. And after that, we formed Allen. And we've been involved in every disaster since Katrina uh, as a result of that. And that is a credit to the supply chain industry because that's the supply chain industry stepping up mm -hmm. to actually make that process work better. Sure. Well, everything... Everything is about supply chain, whether you're buying product or trying to help people in uh, in distress. So you, you were in, involved in the startup of Allen? I'm a, you... I'm a member of the board and a founding member of the organization. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, so we had uh, Kathy Fulton. She's, she's our, our executive director. She's your executive director, and she took over for 
Louis Jacques, before Jacques, Jacques Menzies. Jacques Menzies, yeah, who passed. So you're pretty active and actively involved. You're still doing anything with Georgia Tech, their Supply Chain Logistics Institute, or anything? Or? Absolutely. We teach in both the Scheller Business School at Georgia Tech as well as the ISYE. And we've done that in both the executive education and in their master's programs. Thanks for listening. And remember, supply chain is boring. So I feel uh, it's been an honor for me to sit here with you it's, and, and get to know you a bit better. I think, as I said, we're we're very fortunate in, in Atlanta the, as supply chain city to have a wealth of knowledge uh, from people like you and your peers. Is there, as we wrap up, is there anything that I that I didn't touch upon that you might want to share? No, I just I just like to say that I I totally agree. Atlanta is a hub for supply chain management. A lot of great things going on in the industry, and I think Atlanta will continue to be a center point in the world for supply chain management.